Hey there, listeners. It's Rod from Cincinnati Children's. Have you downloaded the new version of the Stay Current Pediatric Surgery app? We've got a brand new layout, new features. But the reason I bring it up here is because when you're listening to a podcast, if the guest is talking about an article or images or some sort of other document, we want to show it to you. And in the app, we can do that. You can click under the media player, open up an image, and look at it in real time while the guest is talking to you about it. So download it today. It's in the Apple App Store. It's in the Google Play Store. But until then, enjoy the episode. Pediatric gastroesophageal reflux disease. It is fairly common and oftentimes can be treated non-medically, but What happens when you have those patients who have refractory GERD or really complicated GERD? That's when we get a call as the pediatric surgeons. The thing is, did you know there's over 40 different surgical procedures for GERD? When there's more than three or four operations, it means none of them work very well or everybody would do the same thing. That's Dr. Dan Von Allman. He's the surgeon in chief at Cincinnati Children's Medical Center. And he's talking at our 2016 Pediatric Surgery Update course. It's the annual virtual conference we hold to keep pediatric surgeons across the globe up to date on new literature, techniques, anything. And that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to give you our favorite sessions from update course meetings of the past in what we're calling the Update Course Rewind. So, without further ado, here is the Rewind on Complicated GERD with Dan Von Allman. Enjoy. So, with all these different ways to treat GERD surgically, why don't we just start off with one of the more common procedures for GERD, the Nissen. They looked at 360 patients, about half and half, open versus laparoscopic. He's talking about a 2014 article published in the European Journal of Pediatric Surgery. Scroll down under the media player. I put a link in there. You can open it up right now. 12% recurred. 9% actually had a redo fund application. That was 35 patients. And then further, 2.5% or 9 of those patients ended up requiring an additional procedure. Five had a redo, redo Nissen. Three had an esophageal gastric, uh, esophageal replacements, and one had an uh, esophageal gastric disconnect procedure. So Nissen's fail. Unfortunately, up to maybe about 10%, as some of the literature would suggest. It's higher in those patients who have esophageal atresia or congenital diaphragmatic hernia. Now, when it comes to Nissen's, what about open versus laparoscopic? But again, here's uh, one paper reported no significant difference in recurrence between laparoscopic and open approach. There was also no difference in dysphagia recurrence or the need for a redo fund application. So their conclusion was the wrap operation uh, requires a reoperation in about 9% or as Whip said, 10% of patients with a mean follow-up of uh, 35 months. But then when you consider, like I said previously, those patients with esophageal atresia, congenital diaphragmatic hernia repair, what about their rates of failure? Failure rates as high as um, 15 to 30% in that patient population. Okay, how about the patients who have to get a redo? What is the rate of failure in those patients? 
for the patients who underwent a redo fund application, 50% of them failed. So in the literature, it's about a 20 to 30% risk of failure of a redo wrap that it will fail again. So there are a lot of different surgical options for GERD of all those options. There's probably about a 10% rate of failure, higher in the high risk groups, higher if you're doing a redo operation. Now let's try a case. This case is a two-year-old with a chromosomal abnormality. He's de developmentally delayed. He's been dilated multiple times for a distal esophageal stricture, um, which is thought to be reflux related. The stricture is easy to dilate, but it comes right back. And he has vomiting following the dilation, suggesting that he has um, continued reflux. He has a history of having had two previous Nissen fund applications. His workup includes an EGD and a barium swallow. Scroll down under the media player, open it up, take a look. You can see there's a little bit of narrowing distal uh, in the esophagus. And again, that's easily dilated. So ask yourself, what else would you do for the workup here, if anything at all? Well, here's Steve Rothenberg from Rocky Mountain Hospital for Children. So I don't think you need to, a pH probe. I mean, I think your diagnosis is fairly made. I, this is, I, so I don't normally do gastric emptying studies in patients. I think it's been shown by a few papers that the best operation for delayed gastric emptying is a fundoplication. But in someone with recurrent reflux who's failed twice, I'd probably get an emptying study to think about possibly doing a pyloroplasty to try and improve your chances of not having a recurrence. Especially since he's developmental, uh, developmentally yeah. delayed. That's Whit Holcomb from Children's Mercy Kansas City Hospital. I generally get one after when I'm doing a redo for the first, first redo. The panel seemed to agree that maybe a gastric emptying study would be good if this is before the second Nissen for this child. Now, here's something else to consider. You know, part of it would be if I'd done his previous fundos and did I feel like he had a short esophagus? Was I like fighting to get adequate intra-abdominal length? Because if you are, then you should probably think about doing a colis. And then on top of that, remember we said esophageal atresia patients are particularly high risk of needing a redo. So Dr. Rothenberg thinks maybe we should be a little bit more aggressive with those patients too. Now, the next question to consider, what do you do about feeding access? Do you do feeding access at all? Do you do temporary or permanent? Well, here's what the panel thought. You think there's a role, I guess the question is, is there a role for just putting in a GGA tube and feeding the child with a GGA for life? I think all those are, are on the table to talk to fam the family about. Yeah. Uh, if you're talking about a third time Nissen, uh, and and your, their advantages and disadvantages to most of those. So just see how see what the family wants and how comfortable they are with continuous feedings. And the panel is pretty much all in agreement that this comes down to a conversation with the family. I mean. Can the kid tolerate G-tube versus G-J-tube? How does that look with the parent's schedule if you're trying to get on continuous feeds? So make sure you have a really good sit-down conversation with the entire family so that everyone's on the same page. Now, if this is your second or third redo, let's say you wanna do a different surgical approach. Well, Dr. Rothenberg talked about doing a colis, but what other options are out there for us? Um, and then what Mark suggested, which is, is an esophagogenostomy uh, or a gastric disconnect, where the other thing that's reported is a tracheal diversion. 
and you want to use a tracheal diversion if you're worried about constant aspirations or soiling of the lungs. This is an end tracheostomy, so a little different from the usual tracheostomies that we're used to. Now here's Todd Ponsky with some comments from the audience. Juan Sola says, um, checking for eosinophilic esophagitis. Cincinnati is like the eosinophilic esophagitis center, Everyone so that uh, it's like the first thing that happens, so it's a great point, and that is a, it's a very good point that you have to make sure there's not some underlying uh, other pathology that's uh, causing this stricture. Uh, Tara Lou's uh, comment, and Tara, Tara's comment is that uh, you should get palliative care involved, anyone that has esophageal disconnect, because they have a high chance of not surviving uh, into adulthood and uh, they need comfort care. Yeah, I would disagree so. that procedure in and of itself carries an ultimate mortality from underlying disease. So it's probably not the esophageal disconnect itself, it's just the fact that a patient who would necessitate an esophageal disconnect probably has pretty significant disease. In fact, that's what Dr. Von Allman did for this patient. This is the post-op study on that child. Scroll under the media player, open up that image. That is the study he's talking about. When you divide the esophagus and so the, uh, do the esophago J, it frequently retracts up a little bit into the chest, which I don't think is a big deal, uh, as long as you close the hiatus around the, the root limb. We did a standard 40 centimeter root and Y limb. Now, in adults, this procedure has a leak rate of about 10%, but keep in mind that there's not a lot of research on this procedure being done in the pediatric population yet. So, that's the case. Let's take it to a summary. Clearly about 10% of reflux procedures fail at this point. If it failed in the past, it's more likely to fail again. The failure rate is higher in patients with TEF and CDH. And then in those patients who have had multiple anti-reflux procedures, keep in mind that uh, the esophagogastric disconnect is actually a very useful option. The patients do very well with it. They can still eat, although they will certainly need some sort of long-term uh, supplemental nutrition to uh, keep them growing. So there you have it, our 2016 talk on complicated GERD with Dr. Dan Von Allman, where we talked about the workup, surgical options, including a total esophagogastric disconnect procedure. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, Rod, it's 2021. Where are we at now with this procedure? That's where I take you to my final little treat for you. Scroll down under the media player. There's a link to an article from JPS published in 2019 where they talk about the total esophagogastric disconnect as even a primary procedure for anti-reflux. Check it out. Let me know your thoughts. And if you're listening in the State Current app, leave a comment below. Tell us how crazy you think we are for talking about this, or maybe you have an idea for another anti-reflux procedure that you're having a lot of success with. You can do all of that in the app. It's in the Apple App Store. It's in the Google Play Store. Download it today. But until then, I'm Rod from Cincinnati Children's. And remember, knowledge should be free.